You are listening to sermons from New Creation Reformed Presbyterian Church. And seeking the Lord's blessing, I'd ask for you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We're going to consider a portion of history which applies uh, very fittingly to these scripture texts that we have read and sung. Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. And before I read these verses, let's ask God's blessing in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a word that never fails, that it is a word that endures forever. Lord, we are thankful that it is a word that we can rest and rely upon because it is, in fact, without error, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, O Lord, we know that we require and need the work of the Spirit in our minds and hearts to be able to rightly discern and apply what your word teaches. And so we ask you to please help us now as we give our attention to this important passage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 12, and beginning at verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down to Judea, to Caesarea, and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, as we look at these verses here in uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, we're looking at the rest of the story. Some of you may remember Paul Harvey. You remember Paul Harvey, the... American radio personality, maybe not. He was uh, quite famous for telling interesting stories, and then he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, last week we looked at the violent persecution that came upon the church by Herod, and how God delivered Peter. In verse 1, we read about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He that is Herod, killed the Apostle James. And then he arrested Peter during the Passover. And he was intending on killing Peter 
as well. And what we saw last week was that earnest prayer for Peter was being made by the church. And God answered these prayers. And the answer to these prayers included peace in the heart of Peter. Remember, we saw that he fell sound asleep on the eve of his execution. Uh, so his heart was at peace. And we saw that Psalm 34, 4 teaches us that God answers prayer by delivering us from all of our fears. But another answer to this prayer was deliverance for, for Peter. Again, Psalm 34, 6, the Lord heard and saved him out of all of his troubles. Okay? It seems clear that God's deliverance from, for, of Peter uh, by supernatural means, saw that an angel was sent, uh, God's deliverance by supernatural means, even while the church was still praying, uh, it took them off guard by surprise. They couldn't believe that Peter was standing outside the gate uh, in the late hours of the night when Rhoda was saying, Peter's outside at the door. Well, after Peter's rescue and appearance to those gathered at Mark's mother's house, uh, Peter left. In verse 17 of Acts 12, if you look down there, it says, But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And this brings us to the rest of the story. How does it end? What's the rest of it? What happens to the persecutors? Well, here we see another answer to the prayer of the church. And that is being delivered from persecutors, which sometimes includes God's judgment upon those persecutors. We learn here of the death of the Roman soldiers and then the death of Herod, the king. And it is clear from these passages that this is a divine judgment, a judgment from heaven, a judgment from Christ. And there are many lessons to be learned from the rest of the story here. And I want us to focus on three, three lessons here. Now, the first lesson is this, that Jesus Christ, as our mediatorial king, rules over the nations, and part of that rule includes the rod of iron, the rod of iron. You, you remember the words of Jesus in John 5, 22, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Again, in John 5, 27, and he, that is the Father, has given him, that is me, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. The judgment upon Herod that we read of here is a judgment from Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Remember what we are taught in our catechism. God executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself and ruling us and defending us 
and restraining all of his and, and conquering all of his and our enemies. Both of these things. We see that Christ as king uh, subdues sinners to himself in his grace. He rules in grace, the golden scepter of grace, saving his people. But he also has a rod of iron to conquer, to subdue, and to restrain the enemies of his people and himself. Now the book of Revelation reveals to us the rule of the exalted Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ reigns over all. And part of that rule that we see there is his rule over his enemies with the rod of iron. And so, for example, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 5, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Revelation 19.15 From his mouth, that is Jesus Christ, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And all of this is, is part of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 2 which we rang and sang. Excuse me, we read and sang. The Lord said to me, Jesus Christ, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so here is Herod in our passage in Acts chapter 12. Here is Herod, an earthly king. What do we find this earthly king doing in verse 1 of chapter 12? About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, to Mount Zion, to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Herod, an earthly king, laid violent hands upon them. He was persecuting Christ's church and we know that those who persecute Christ's church are actually persecuting Christ himself he was opposed to Christ he's at war with Christ Herod was doing what Psalm 2 says against the Lord and against his anointed he is saying I will not allow Christ to tie me down I'm going to break free of my obligations to him he won't be my king I'm not going to rule for him in his name. In fact, I am going to try to destroy his kingdom. That's what this earthly king Herod is doing. I will go to war against his kingdom of grace in the church. And what's the result? What's the result? His destruction. His destruction. Verse 23 of chapter 12 immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last immediately an angel struck him down Herod's death was the activity of heaven Herod's death was the activity of heaven an angel from heaven now who sent the angel do angels just uh, duck out of heaven? I'm going into the earth. I'm going to, you know, what do you want to do? 
today the angels say to one another, let's go down to the earth and, you know, hang out there. See what no, no. Angels are ministering spirits. An angel was sent from heaven. Where did the angel get the authority to do what he was going to do? Where did this angel get this authority to strike down Herod? Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts. He's the king. And he sent this angel, and this is a vivid supernatural display of what the Bible tells us is always taking place in history. Christ rules over all the nations. And he rules with a rod of iron for the sake of his kingdom of grace, the church. This rule is for the good of his people, the church. Here we see Christ judging his enemies. He is restraining and conquering them in this particular way by destroying Herod. This immediately puts an end to the persecution. You know, one of the reasons God has given us the Bible is to continually remind us of the spiritual realities that are taking place in the world in which we live. So whenever we're looking at the news every day, we have to remember... The Bible shows me what's going on here, that what's taking place in the spiritual realms. Behind all of this confusion and stuff that I see, I know that Jesus Christ is ruling. We pray to the Lord who is in heaven because he rules over all. He raises up kings, he casts them down. And this is the first obvious pass, uh, uh, lesson from this passage that we're looking at. Jesus Ruling over Peter in grace sent an angel to deliver Peter. Think about that. This, the, the same king that sent an angel to destroy Herod sent an angel to save Peter. And it's so wonderful when you read over again how the angel delivered Peter in such a friendly way. You know, nudging him and get your sandals on, put your, put your coat on, let's go through here, opening the door going right through. An angel of heaven, such power, such, such might, and yet coming right down and, and saving one of God's children. But then you see Jesus in his fury and wrath bringing down judgment upon the enemies of his people. And the result is, again, it ends, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. You know, history tells us that once Herod was dead, that Rome had to appoint a new governor, and the new governor that came in gave peace. He didn't persecute so that Christ's kingdom could be delivered. This is the reign of Christ. Now, notice the manner of Herod's death. Notice the manner of Herod's death. It w he was on his throne. It was while he was on his throne. Look up there at... Uh, Verse, I should say, look down there. On uh, verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to him. So this is not per, uh, Herod as a private individual uh, in his home, uh, slipping on the tile and then falling or something just while he was doing some, something mundane. mundane. This is Herod as the king sitting on his throne, the, the throne that God had given him 
to rule as a servant of God. And he's giving this oration at this time. And what happens as he is sitting on this throne, he's receiving pray, praise and immediately he is stricken by this angel and eaten by worms until he died. Now the ancient Jewish historian Josephus describes this event and he says that Herod was seized with excruciating pain before this packed Colosseum at Caesarea, and by the way, you can look it up, the, the amphitheater is still there, the very place where this took place. Uh, it's still there. I had the privilege to be able to, to go to that place, and you stand there and you're thinking, this is the place. Herod was probably right over there when he was struck down by the angels. Josephus tells us that he was struck down in the midst of the speech as he was, as he was receiving this praise, and they had to carry him out on a stretcher. Sometimes you see the, the awful and tragic event take place where you see like a, a sports player who collapses on the field and they have to carry him out or who's injured and how the whole stadium becomes silent in that moment. Well, here is the enemy of the Lord and he's stricken by an angel and they have to carry him out on a stretcher. And then Josephus tells us that he lingered on for five days in excruciating pain until finally they, he was basically eaten from the inside out by these worms. Uh, like Jonah's plant that was just devoured by a worm. Now think about this for a moment. Why didn't the Lord just immediately strike him down? Like an Ananias or Sapphira where he just all of a sudden stopped breathing and collapsed. Well, remember, Herod murdered James. Herod was about to murder Peter. Herod ordered that the soldiers who guarded Peter should be executed. And we read here that Herod was angry with Tyre and Sidon. We don't know why, but he was re ready to begin a war with them and cut off their food supply. Herod was an exceedingly wicked man, and so it's not unjust that God would bring this kind of judgment upon him. But I want you to think about this another way as well. God had allowed Herod to linger in the world for five days, linger in a world that had gospel opportunity. Josephus tells us, that those around Herod during these five days of agony spoke a great deal about God's providence. You think of the thief on the cross in the midst of his excruciating agony, but coming to his senses and saying, Lord Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. For five days, Herod had opportunity to come to his senses and repent like the thief on the cross. He was given that opportunity. Here I am, justly so, refusing to give glory to God. Persecuting the church of God. I know Psalm 2, that's me. But rather than saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner, Herod continued hardening his heart and then died. 
The Lord Jesus rules with a rod of iron. That's the first lesson. Now the second lesson is this. Kings are to give glory to Christ. This is very important. Kings are to give glory to Christ. Now, uh, before the service, I mentioned seeking a projector for PowerPoint. Uh, I've been planning a series of messages uh, uh, on the subject of um, what the Bible teaches about civil magistracy, about the civil government. Uh, it's been a long time coming, and uh, it's a very su sensitive subject in the church today, as you know. Uh, and as many of you experience, probably more than anything than we've ever experienced in our lifetimes is the division that's been going on in the church as we strive to try to understand what does the Bible teach us about our duties to the civil government or how that is to, to look like, or what it's to look like. All Christians believe that we're to be subject to the civil magistrate. There's no question there. All Christians believe that. All Christians believe that we should pay taxes and that we should honor the king and so on. But over the past two years, it's become apparent that Christians don't agree as to what that obedience looks like. So we're going to take a close look at that, God willing, uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, what does the Bible say? Now presently, as we're looking at the passage before us this morning, I want us to just consider one thing here respecting civil rulers like King Herod, and that is that civil rulers are sent by Christ, they're appointed by Christ, in order to give glory to God. In order to give glory to God. Look again at verses 20 to 23. 20 to 23. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting with a voice, uh, were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Isn't it interesting that the occasion of Herod's death and the reason God gives us as to why Herod was put to death was not because he murdered James, not because he was persecuting the church, the explicit reason that's given is that he did not give God the glory. He did not give glory to God. This was the immediate judgment, and this happened while the people were saying of him, the voice of a God and not a man. It was for this neglect, that is to say, allowing the people to give glory to a creature rather than God himself. Notice the context again. Uh, in verse 20 and 21, Herod was angry with the pe people of Tyre and Sire. The people of Tyre and Sire are worried that Herod is angry with them and that Herod's going to go to war. And so they manage to uh, make a connection with Blastus, who is the chamberlain, that is to say he's like the house manager of Herod. And they have him convince Herod 
you know, make peace with these people. If you can make peace with them, they will serve you. And Herod agrees. Remember last week, we saw how Herod was like most politicians in that he ruled by popularity. When he killed James, everybody liked that. And so he thought, oh, well, I'm going to put Peter to death too. The approval of the people. Well, it seems that Blastus had told Herod, if you go to peace with these people, speak words of peace to them, then they will give you the praise you crave. And so the appointed day comes. Verse 21, Josephus tells us that this was part of a Roman festival celebrating the birth of Emperor August or Claudius. Now notice Herod put on his royal robes. Verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took a seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. Now one of the interesting things to think about here is that Blastus, the house manager, as Chamberlain, would most likely, most likely have had a hand in talking to Herod about his clothing and taking his seat, how he would present himself in his, in his uh, appearance before the people. That this would be part of the work as the house manager is how Herod the king is going to present himself. Josephus tells us that Herod dressed himself in a garment made of silver thread. And it so happened on this day when he came out into the, into the theater, he came out in the morning hours, and it happened to be that the low angle of the sun on the sunrise hit Herod in his silver clothing and, be, and just blinded the people that were looking at him. And it, it brought a lot of them to be afraid. They were in shock at the splendor of this display as Herod is sitting there on his throne and beginning to speak. And then there were the political opportunists around there who began to shout, Josephus says, they began to shout, Be merciful to us, O Herod, for although up until this time we've regarded you as a man, but from now on you are as a god to us, superior to our mortal nature. This is what they were shouting and that's when he was struck. And the reason why? Because he did not give God glory. Now this very cl clearly teaches us uh, something that's important respecting civil rulers. And that is that their duty includes giving glory to God. Civil rulers are accountable to give glory to God. Kings and judges are required to give glory to God. Think about these things. Think about the well-known passages that we've been looking at and that we will be looking at ahead. Think about Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. By his providence, Jesus Christ made Herod king. Do you realize that? Christ made Herod king. And Christians, like the apostles James and Peter, they were to be subject to Herod. They were to honor Herod. They were to respect Herod. Peter himself wrote 2 Peter 2.13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors 
like Herod, as sent by him. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor Herod. Why honor Herod? Why honor Herod? Why be subject to Herod? Because God put Herod there in the office of king. And the reason why he was there in that office was, quoting 1 Peter 2.14, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Not to do his own will, but to do God's will. Why was Herod king? As Romans 13.4 says, For he is God's servant for your good, an avenger who carries out God's wrath, not his own wrath, God's wrath. But what we see here is that Herod allowed the people to give glory to a creature. Now, you know that that's idolatry. That's against the moral law. And Herod, as king, was not to allow the people to express idolatry like this. Notice very carefully in Acts 12, 23. It does not say that Herod was struck down because he, that is Herod, received glory. It's not because uh, Herod, this was a factor of why he was doing it, his pride, but that's not why he was struck down. He wasn't struck down because of his own personal pride and receiving glory for himself. It says that he was struck down because he did not give glory to God. In other words, as king, Herod was to direct the people to give glory to God. It wouldn't have been enough for Herod to simply say, don't give me glory, don't give me glory, give all the glory to someone else. It wouldn't have been enough for Herod to say, give glory to Caesar, not me. It wouldn't have been right for Herod to say, give glory to your gods Zeus and Hermes or whatever God you have. It wouldn't have been right or enough for Herod to say, give glory to Allah, don't give glory to me, or give glory to Muhammad, not to me. No, the duty of Herod as king was not merely to not receive glory for himself, but to direct that the glory that his subjects are giving are to be given to the true and living God. It's very interesting. Uh, you see in uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God is worthy of that glory. And then it says in in Chapter 5, verse 12, speaking of Christ. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Civil rulers are not merely to allow people to give glory to any God of their choosing. They are to give glory to the true and living God, the triune God, and to the son that God has appointed as mediatorial king over all. That's exactly what Psalm 2 says. Kings, rulers, judges, kiss the son, Jesus Christ. Yes, he, yet, 
uh, lest he be angry and you perish in your way. You remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan, when Satan said, worship me, worship me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. When John, the apostle, attempted to worship an angel in heaven, the angel said, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Worship God. When people tried to worship Paul and Barnabas, they said, don't do that. Turn to the living God. You see, this is part of the duty that is upon the shoulders of all civil rulers. As God's servants, they are to ensure that idolatry doesn't take place in their land. That's what was going on here. That was the specific sin that was going on here. Yes, of course, Herod was a persecutor of the church, and no doubt that that judgment came upon him connected to that. But the specific occasion is that he did not give glory to God. Now then, this brings us to the third and final point. Just read... Uh, Briefly, this is what each one of us is to do, is to give glory to, the God, to God and to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to him who is slain, the lamb who is slain, the redeemer of our souls, the one who has delivered us from our sin, from death, from the bondage of Satan, the one who has freely given us eternal life, we are to give him all the glory in all of our life, with all of our, with all of our strength and might, for he is our Lord and King. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you that the world is not set on its own course of its own will without any direction, but it is being governed and it is being ruled and it is being governed and ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the highest of all. He indeed is above all of the forces of darkness, that nothing can be done apart from his will, and that the only thing that will be accomplished is his will. What a great comfort it is for us, and we pray that you would strengthen us and help us, O oh Lord, that in everything that we do, that we would give you the glory and honor and not give that glory to any other. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to sermons from New Creation Reformed Presbyterian Church. God bless you.